The following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. To learn more about who we are, visit irvingbible.org new. Well, good morning, IBC. My name is Sissy. I'm one of the pastors here. So glad you're worshiping with us this morning. I have two thoughts after watching that video. One, I feel like Brett has a future in television. You agree? Yeah? Two, I think why mosquitoes is such a great question. And I'm sure that we have lots of questions that we'd love to ask Jesus. Over the last six weeks, we've been in this series that we call the questions of Jesus. And often when we come to Jesus, we come with lots of questions. And our questions are are good and, and valuable. But what if... Instead of bringing our questions to Jesus, we took a closer look at the questions that Jesus asks us. And Jesus asks a lot of questions. Now, when I ask a question, often it's because I don't know the answer. But that's not why Jesus asks questions. He's the son of God. He he knows all the answers. He has a very different purpose for his questions. Jesus' questions were meant to wake up his listeners and to evoke a response. His questions cause us to think and and to reflect on our lives. His questions transform us. Jesus' questions are provocative and challenging, yet at the very same time, they're also liberating and comforting. This morning, we're going to take a look at the scene where Jesus meets Peter and some of the other disciples on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Now, if you recall, in week one of this series, we took a look at a scene with Jesus, Peter, and the disciples. And so it seems fitting that we end this series by looking at yet another scene with Jesus and Peter. And this time, Jesus asked Peter this question. Peter, do you love me? Peter is a young man who is also a fisherman along with his brother Andrew. And Jesus meets Peter for the very first time on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And he invites him to follow him. And Peter leaves everything and he becomes Jesus' disciple. Now he's not just one of the 12. He's part of Jesus' inner circle. He's one of his best friends. And as we read through the Gospels, we see that Peter is often rash and impulsive He he often speaks and acts without thinking. And the very first person to give us the clearest sense of Jesus' identity is Peter. Back in week one, we looked at the scene where Jesus asked Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter responds, he says, you're the Messiah, you're the son of the living God. Jesus, you are the one that all of Israel, that all the world has been waiting for. Peter says to Jesus, Jesus, look, I don't understand everything about you. I don't understand everything that you came to do, but you have something that we don't have. You have this relationship with God where you call him father and you share in the father's essence in your very being. Peter had all these ideas about who the Messiah was and and what the Messiah would come to do. And he follows Jesus. And he, he watches as Jesus does miracle after miracle. He watches as Jesus raises the dead and heals the sick, as he gives sight to the blind and makes the lame walk. He watches as Jesus casts out demons and restores men and women to life and health and vitality. Peter is there for all of it. 
On the night that Jesus is betrayed, he tells his disciples that this very night, you will all abandon me. And Peter immediately responds. He says, no way, Jesus. I know these guys and they don't love you like I do. But me, I'm with you to the end. I'll, I'll never deny you. I'll never reject you. I'll never leave you. I will even die for you, Jesus. I'm your guy. And Jesus says, this very night, Peter, you'll deny me three times. And so they walk over to the Garden of Gethsemane and it's here that Judas arrives with a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent by the religious leaders and they arrest Jesus and all the disciples scatter. They desert Jesus. And Peter follows Jesus to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest, where Jesus undergoes a sham of a trial. And, Jesus, and Peter gets himself into the courtyard of Caiaphas' house and he stands there around a charcoal fire warming himself. A servant girl sees him and she says to Peter, you were with Jesus. And Peter denies it. I don't know what you're talking about. And so then he sort of retreats to the edge of the crowd to hide himself and another servant girl sees him and she tells the others, Peter was with Jesus. And immediately he says, I do not know the man. And after some time, bystanders begin to press Peter even further. You're one of his followers. Surely you were with Jesus. Your accent gives you away. And Peter begins to call down curses upon himself. He says, may Yahweh curse me if I am not telling the truth. I do not know the man. And in that moment, Jesus looks right into Peter's eyes. And Peter remembers Jesus' words. And he runs out of the courtyard, weeping. Peter does everything he can to convince people that he does not know or follow Jesus. He, he lies, and even when confronted with the fact that his Galilean accent gives him away as a follower of Jesus, he keeps lying. That's like me saying words like chocolate, pecan, and coffee, and telling you I'm not from New Jersey. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. But Peter has dug himself into such a hole, he's afraid for his life, so he just keeps lying, and he denies Jesus. Peter owed Jesus everything. This was his best friend. This was his rabbi. This is the Messiah. And Peter abandons Jesus to death just to save his own skin. How could Peter ever live with himself after doing something like that? How could Peter ever forgive himself for the biggest failure of his life? I think we could all relate to Peter, can't we? At some point in our lives, we've been there. I know I have. I know what it's like to screw up badly. I know what it's like to hurt and to disappoint people I love. I know what it's like to fail God so immensely, I'm not sure I can ever come back from this. I know what it's like to fail so badly that I don't know if I could forgive myself. I certainly don't know if God could forgive me. And maybe you've been in a place like that. Maybe you're in a place like that this morning. Maybe you've made a mess of your life. Maybe you've done and said some things that have hurt people in ways that you weren't even aware you were capable of. Maybe you've screwed up a, a relationship or a friendship. Maybe you've even screwed up your marriage. Perhaps you've ruined your career or you've blown an opportunity. 
What do you do when you're faced with the worst failure of your life? What do you do when you've done something so bad you don't know how you're ever going to get past it? What do you do when you screw up so badly that you're not sure you can live with yourself? You don't even know how to make things right. What do you do when you're faced with the most stunning failure of your life? This morning, I want us to take a look at this scene where Jesus meets Peter and some of the other disciples. It's found in John 21. If you have your Bibles or your devices, turn there, scroll there with me. John 21 is where we'll be. Peter and and the disciples have left Jerusalem and they're back in Galilee. This is after Jesus' resurrection. And they're doing the only thing that they know how to do. They go fishing. And Jesus meets them there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. This is the very place where he first invited Peter to be his disciple. And now he invites him and, and the disciples to breakfast. And he asks Peter a question. Now he doesn't ask Peter, why did you fail me? Instead, he asked Peter, do you love me? And by asking this question, Jesus is trying to show Peter what he offers him in the aftermath of the biggest failure of his life. And so what I want to do is just walk through this scene together, and here's what I want to show you. In the face of our most stunning failures, Jesus offers extravagant forgiveness, joy-filled purpose, and fullness of life. Extravagant forgiveness, joy-filled purpose, and fullness of life. Now, before we dive into this scene, let me give you a little background. Peter and the disciples have been fishing all night. They've caught nothing. It's early in the morning, and Jesus is standing on the shore. And the disciples don't recognize him, but he calls out to them. He says, haven't you caught anything? And they say no. He says, well, throw your nets on the right side of the boat, and then you'll find some fish. And they do. And they bring in such an overwhelming catch of fish. John is in the boat with Peter and he he recognizes that it's Jesus. He tells Peter and Peter immediately jumps into the water. He furiously wades to shore and he runs to Jesus. And the other disciples follow in the boat. And when they get to the shore, they find that Jesus has prepared a charcoal fire and some fish. And then Jesus invites them to breakfast. Let's pick up the story. John 21, 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Jesus' actions here are purposeful and deliberate. Every detail is intentional and brilliantly arranged by Jesus in meeting Peter. Jesus is making Peter painfully remember every moment of his denial. First, he makes a charcoal fire. The only other place in the New Testament where we see a charcoal fire is in the courtyard of Caiaphas' house where Peter denied Jesus. The smell of that fire, the burning of the coals, the the glow of the flames took Peter back to that, that night where he denied Jesus. And then Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? To remind him of the three times that he had denied him. 
But when he first asks the question, he doesn't just ask, do you love me? Instead, he asks, do you love me more than these? Now, why would Jesus ask a question like that? See, he's trying to get Peter to remember what he claimed that last night when they were together. Peter was adamant. He was sure. He was confident. Jesus, I will never leave you. I love you more than these guys. I am with you to the end, Jesus. Jesus doesn't just go back to Peter's denials. He goes back to Peter's claims. And by the third time that Jesus asked this question, Peter is hurt. And if you're like me, you're probably wondering, why is Jesus forcing Peter to remember every terrible detail of the worst moment of his life? Why is he being so harsh? Friends, Jesus is the great physician. And like any good doctor, like any good surgeon, he needs to go to the place of pain in our lives so that he can heal us. This isn't a paper cut. This isn't a minor wound. This is a deep, festering wound that needs attention and cleansing. And Jesus is performing surgery on Peter's heart. This, this is a deep wound of sin, and only Jesus can heal Peter. And so he goes to that place of pain in Peter's life. He opens up the wound, and he goes right to that place of pain and shame so he can heal him. Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? And Peter responds each time, you know that I love you, Jesus. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Here's what Jesus is saying. Peter, you failed me. And each time Peter responds and he says, I know. I know that I failed you, Jesus. And Jesus says, okay, Peter, feed my sheep. Jesus is going to the place of pain and shame in Peter's life and he's offering him extravagant forgiveness. And Peter responds with true repentance. Notice what Peter doesn't do. He doesn't make excuses. He doesn't say, cut me some slack, Jesus. I was afraid for my life. Surely you could understand. That's not what he does. He doesn't blame shift. He doesn't say, well, look, Jesus, the other disciples, they deserted you first. It's really their fault that I denied you. That's not what he does. That's often what I do. I never realized how much of a blame shifter I was until recently when my best friend pointed out that blame shifting is a pattern in my life. That when something goes wrong, when I do something wrong, the first thing I do is look for someone else to blame because I don't wanna face the truth that I failed, that I've sinned. And when she first said that to me, I got really angry inside. And I immediately thought, this isn't about me, this is about you, it's your fault. And then I realized I was just proving her point which is often how this works. But as I thought about what she said, I, I realized she was right. And I had to repent. And I'm trying to be more intentional about relying on the grace of Jesus and owning my sin, owning my failures. But this is what Peter does. He doesn't blame shift. He doesn't make excuses. He, he doesn't rationalize his sin. He recognizes his sin. There's no longer any arrogance or bravado, Peter's heart has been transformed by Jesus. He doesn't trust in his own strength or his good behavior. Instead, he relies on the grace of Jesus. And Jesus doesn't just go to the surface of Peter's wound. He doesn't just put a Band-Aid on it and tell him, hey, it's gonna be okay. That's not what Jesus does. He goes deep inside. He goes to the root of Peter's failure. He doesn't ask Peter, why did you fail me? He asks Peter, do you love me? 
Because at the root of Peter's sin was pride and a lack of trust in God. Peter thought that he was better than everyone else. He prided himself on being an upright, moral, religious man. And he had plans for Jesus as the Messiah. The Messiah was supposed to liberate and free Israel from the tyranny of Rome. The Messiah was supposed to set all things right. The the Messiah was supposed to rule and reign over the world. And Peter was going to rule and reign right next to Jesus. Jesus was the king that Peter needed. But he wasn't the king that Peter expected. Peter was using religion to make himself feel good. But at his heart, he didn't trust Jesus. He didn't love Jesus first in his heart. Friends, at the core of every sin is a lack of trust in God. It's a desire to play God. It's it's our desire to push the true God to the side and to say we could rule over our own lives. It's us saying, look, Jesus, I don't need you to rule because I got this. And if I need some help, I'll throw up a prayer. It's treating Jesus like a genie in a bottle or a cosmic Santa Claus instead of the rightful king of our lives. Repentance is not just looking at the behavior, but getting to the root of the sin and asking, where am I not trusting God with my life? Where am I not surrendering my life to Jesus? In what ways am I trying to kick Jesus off the throne of my life so that I can rule and reign? Repentance results in behavior change, but it goes much deeper to identify what is at the root of the sin so that no longer has power over us. Jesus shows Peter his responsibility for his sin. Jesus shows Peter the root of his sin, and then Peter is grieved by it. He's hurt. Paul writes this, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. There are two kinds of grief, godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. If you have godly sorrow, it leads to freedom and healing. If you have worldly sorrow, it leads only to death. In worldly sorrow, we look at what sin costs us. We look at the consequences of our sin and how we're suffering, and it leads to self-pity and death. But in godly sorrow, we look at what our sin cost God what our sin has cost others. We look at the ways we have hurt God and hurt others, but at the very same time, we recognize that we are accepted by God, and so we repent. We recognize that we're loved by Jesus, and his love for us will never change, and so it moves us to repent, to turn from our sin and to turn to Jesus, and this leads to freedom and healing. Early on in Jesus' relationship with Peter, There's a similar event recorded in Luke 5 as there is here in John 21. In Luke 5, the disciples had been fishing all night and they hadn't caught anything. And Jesus tells them to let their nets down again. And when they do, they bring in such a catch that their nets almost break. And Peter drops to his knees and he says, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. When Peter came face to face with Jesus' power and presence and goodness, he was aware of his sinfulness and it made him feel weak and small. And all he wants to do is get away from Jesus. But here in John 21, Peter has been transformed by Jesus. Peter understands the extravagant forgiveness that Jesus offers him. He comes face to face with his most stunning failure. He feels weak and small and sinful and he runs to Jesus. He relies on the grace of Jesus. Peter understands that Jesus has died for him. And so he no longer trusts in his performance or his good behavior. 
Instead, he trusts in Jesus' performance and in Jesus' righteousness. He realizes that he's loved and accepted by Jesus, and so he runs to Jesus instead of running from Jesus. Friends, when faced with your failures and your sins, do you run from Jesus or do you run to Jesus? In the face of our most stunning failures, Jesus offers extravagant forgiveness. But secondly, he offers joy-filled purpose. In week one of the series, we looked at the scene where Jesus asks, who do you say I am? And Peter responds, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, Peter, you're right. And you are the rock. And I'm going to use you to build my church. And I think Peter thought all of that was over after he had denied and abandoned Jesus. But Jesus says, Peter, I'm not done with you yet. Jesus offers extravagant forgiveness like a good surgeon. He goes to the place of pain and shame in Peter's life so he can heal him. And Peter responds and he repents of his sin. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And, And Peter says, you know that I love you, Jesus. Each time Peter responds with repentance, Jesus doesn't say, okay, you're not, you're not gonna fail me again, are you, Peter? You're never gonna deny me again, will you? That's not what Jesus does. He responds with love and affirmation. Instead of condemnation, Peter receives confirmation. Feed my sheep, Peter. Peter, your failure is not your identity. Peter, pastor and care and shepherd my church. When you put your trust in Jesus, you receive a new identity so that you might live out your true purpose. Jesus transformed Peter's life, not in spite of his failures, but through his failures and his wounds. Peter's failures humbled him and helped him experience the grace of Jesus, and that's what made him a good leader. And Jesus will use your failures and your wounds so that you could serve him and others. And friends, this is where joy is found. Henry Nouwen writes this. Nobody escapes being wounded. We are all wounded people. The main question is not how can we hide our wounds so we don't have to be embarrassed, but how can we put our woundedness in the service of others? When our wounds cease to be a source of shame and become a source of healing, we have become wounded healers. Jesus was God's wounded healer. Through his wounds, we are healed. Jesus' suffering and death brought joy and life. His humiliation brought glory. His rejection brought a community of love. As followers of Jesus, we can also allow our wounds to bring healing to others. Jesus meets Peter's most stunning failure with his most overwhelming grace. He recommissions Peter. Jesus has good work for Peter to do. Peter becomes an influential leader in the church. He heals the lame. He brings the dead to life. He establishes churches. He trains pastors. He equips believers. Peter preaches sermons and thousands of people come to put their trust in Jesus. Jesus says, Peter, I am not done with you yet. Your failures are no match for my grace. And if Jesus can do that with Peter, what makes you think he can't do that with you? Jesus has a purpose for your life that will bring you deep joy as you become the person that he's always destined you to be. In the face of our most stunning failures, Jesus offers extravagant forgiveness and joy-filled purpose. But thirdly, he offers fullness of life. Verse 18, very truly, I tell you, 
When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. The phrase, stretch out your hands, was a metaphor for crucifixion. Jesus' invitation to discipleship is to come and die so that you might truly live. Jesus invites you to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. And this is where fullness of life and freedom is found. We die to our own selfish desires, to to our desire to control and to be self-reliant, and we follow Jesus. Jesus says, lose yourself for me. Build your life on me, on, on what I have done for you, and then you will find true life. Then you will find your true self. And Jesus gives us two options. First, deny Jesus and follow yourself and you will end up unsatisfied and a slave to your own desires and insecure in who you are. Life is hard. Things go bad. Relationships fail. Careers end. Tragedy strikes. And if we have built our lives on anything else other than Jesus, we will lose everything. But here's the second option. Deny yourself and follow Jesus and you will experience true contentment and deep satisfaction. You will be free from your own selfish desires and you will be secure in who you are. The problem is so many of us are chasing after this third option where we do a little bit of both and that doesn't work. You want fullness of life. You want deep, rich, meaningful, soul-filled life then deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus. The way of Jesus is the way of the cross and Peter literally went to the cross for Jesus. He was crucified around 66 AD under, in Rome under the persecution of Nero. And tradition tells us that he was crucified upside down because he did not consider himself worthy to die the same way his savior did. Jesus invites you to come and die so that you might truly live. In the face of our most stunning failures, Jesus offers extravagant forgiveness, joy-filled purpose, and fullness of life. Jesus meets us in our most stunning failures. And maybe you've screwed up your marriage or a friendship. Maybe you've betrayed people. Perhaps you've blown up your career. Maybe you made a mess up your life. Maybe you feel disqualified and unworthy. Maybe you've done something so bad that you don't know how you could ever live with yourself. And right now, Jesus looks at you and he says, I am not done with you yet. He doesn't ask you, why did you fail? He asks, do you love me? He doesn't come to reject you, but to reconcile you. He doesn't come to cancel you, but to confirm you. He does not come to shame you, but to save you. Jesus offers extravagant forgiveness. And like a good surgeon, he will go to the place of pain and shame in our lives, the festering wounds of sin, And he offers forgiveness and he leads us to true repentance. Jesus doesn't just go to the surface of the wound. He goes deep inside to the root of our sin so that it no longer has power over us. Friends, what sin or failure do you need to bring before Jesus and repent of this morning so that you could receive forgiveness and healing? But secondly, Jesus offers joy-filled purpose. Jesus meets your most stunning failure with his overwhelming grace. Jesus has good work for you to do. He has a part for you to play that only you can play in his redemptive work in the world. That's what he did with Peter. 
And if Jesus can do that with Peter, what makes you think he can't do that with you? Your failures are no match for the grace of Jesus. Jesus has a purpose for your life that will bring you deep joy as you become the person that he's always intended you to be. But are you living out of that joy-filled purpose? And then thirdly, Jesus offers fullness of life. Jesus' invitation of discipleship is to come and die so that you might truly live. Jesus invites you to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. Jesus says, lose yourself for me and you will find your true self in me. And this is where fullness of life is found. Have you accepted Jesus' invitation? With Jesus, your failures are, are never fatal because he offers you extravagant forgiveness. With Jesus, your failures are never futile because he offers you joy-filled purpose. With Jesus, your failures are never final because he offers you fullness of life. Jesus has the last word over your life and he says, follow me. No matter what you've done or where you've been, no matter what destructive habit or devastating pattern you're stuck in, you do not have to stay there. Jesus has a plan for your life and he is not done with you. And you know how I know that's true? Because these scriptures tell me that that's true. But also, because I've experienced it. Jesus has met me in my failures and in my brokenness. And he has met me with his overwhelming grace. My story is Peter's story. And so I echo the words of the Apostle Paul. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for this very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe and receive eternal life. This is the gospel. Friends, we have a God who we can run to in the middle of our biggest messes. We don't have to run from Jesus. We run to Jesus. We are loved, accepted, forgiven, and free. Will you live out of that this morning? Jesus stands on the shore and he says, come. He welcomes you with open arms. And this morning, Jesus asks each one of us this question. Do you love me? Will you receive his invitation? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. Thank you that we are loved and accepted because of Jesus. Even right now in this moment, would you help us to examine our hearts to see if there's any sin that we need to bring before you so that we might receive forgiveness and healing. Help us to live out of the joy-filled purpose that you have for each one of us. And then help us to follow you, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and to follow Jesus, because this is where fullness of life is found. May it be true of us. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. To learn more about who we are, visit irvingbible.org new.